people are losing their minds over Chloe Bailey's personal Instagram account. Michael Che is back on his transphobic bullshit, and we are joined by David Mack to discuss pandemic fatigue. It's February 1st, 2021. Hey friends, I'm Casey Rackham. And I'm Zach Stafford. Welcome to BuzzFeed Daily. So we have to start with this. The internet is losing its mind over Chloe and Hallie. You might have noticed that the two sisters made separate social media accounts, which is great, you know, because they've been sisters who star in a TV show together as twins and have their music career together. Like everything's together. They made separate accounts because, you know, they're their own people. But over the weekend, Chloe of the famed duo received a ton of backlash because apparently posting pictures of yourself on Instagram can result in people deciding that she's too sexy and turning into a sexual object. Chloe then took to Instagram Live to discuss some of the comments. For every woman out there, don't change who you are to make society feel comfortable. And I'm telling myself that's not what I'm going to do. And even when I posted the video yesterday, I was posting it because I was saging and doing Santo and I was like, let's spread positive vibes. I didn't even really notice you all would talk about my ass because I'm like, okay, I'm just walking in for one second, two seconds, you know? Okay, I saw this last night. I got very upset. I love Chloe and Holly a lot. But my thing here is that the internet, that so many people on the internet cannot stop coming for black women in their bodies and how they conduct themselves on the internet. And we do this whole bullshit around black girl magic, black girl this, this, this. And then one black woman lives her life authentically and you have to tear her off the pedestal that you put her on. And I think it's garbage. It's trash. This young girl did nothing wrong. She was in her own room creating content and burning Palo Santo. Like what is wrong with people? Her body is not for anyone but her. And it's just like so upsetting when you see people doing that. Yes, especially to a black woman. But yeah, you know what? Actually, the this weekend has been the weekend of people just tearing down women in general. I don't know if you saw Ella Emhoff. Uh, someone online like took pictures of her and was like, what are these outfits or something like that? And it's just like, they're not for you. Let these young women post what they're going to post. And it sucks because these are like young women who, you know, are trying are becoming very, very famous and they're having to conduct themselves in public, which means people have public opinions about them. People need to learn to just like let people be. These are artists. She's doing incredible things. And also we never talked about like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera in the same ways when they were 17 doing no, far and, more. And that is to your point because black women are, and their bodies are talked about differently than white women and their bodies. It's so frustrating. So, well, speaking of how we talk about bodies in public, I have another story for us, and it's from SNL and Michael Che, who got real transphobic this weekend with his updates on SNL. So his transphobia came from a bit where Che described Joe Biden's reversal of Donald Trump's ban on trans people serving in the military as, quote, don't ask, don't tuck. The backlash was swift, with one person saying, quote, literally, what will it take for Michael Che to stop writing transphobic jokes? So this is not the first time Che has made jokes at trans people's expense. He previously deadnamed and misgendered Caitlyn Jenner and has used a trans slur in his stand-up set. This is like his favorite thing to do, and it is baffling. It it really is. It's just so, like, it's offensive, but also dumb and not funny. No, especially because, like... This was a huge thing to see that like, trans folks can go back in the military. Yeah. We're seeing systemic ways in which we're reversing discrimination. And then he makes a joke about it. And, you know, I feel I made a joke 
about this week's SNL that it felt like it was 1998 because we're seeing a lot of the casual homophobia pop up in SNL already just because Biden is president and Biden is so pro-LGBTQ that liberals specifically think it's okay now to now make those jokes. Because Casey, I think you have a feeling about another part of SNL that I'll let you talk about. Oh my God. I'm like, I'm, I'm literally like, oh, when can I talk? When can I talk? <laughs> yeah, it's because of that opening monologue where it's just John Krasinski and then um, Pete Davidson. And basically the punchline was two men kiss on camera. And it also was like the unsexiest kiss I've ever seen because it looked Awful. it looked like two hetero men trying not to kiss. That's what it yes. looks like. It's the same as like when people make like small dick jokes and stuff like that, where it's just all this stuff is like, it's not that we're like triggered. It's that it's unfunny. It's so unfunny. And their kiss was the most straight thing I'd ever seen in my life. Like it was, there was nothing about it being gay. I don't care that two men had their lips pressed against each other because there was like no passion, <laughs> no enjoyment, no nothing. I have thought things about John Krasinski in my past. I was not thinking of them in that moment. Pete Davidson, I've never thought of sexual. God bless Ariana Grande and her experience there. But... At the end of the day, I do like seeing men kiss, and I did not like seeing this because it felt like they were making my life the joke here, mm -hmm. similar to how the trans folks in the military was the joke. And that was not funny mm -hmm. to, because we have just gone through so much in Donald Trump's presidency, and we're now making jokes. <laughs> I just, I don't uh, get Just, it. like, make better jokes. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, move on. Move on. All right. When we come back, we'll be joined by David Mack, who wrote all about pandemic fatigue and where we go from here. Stay right there. Fit. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com/slash 2022. This is Roxanne Gay, host of the Roxanne Gay Agenda, the bad feminist podcast of your dreams. Now, what is the Roxanne Gay Agenda, you might ask? Well, it's a podcast where I'm going to speak my mind about what's on my mind, and that could be anything. Every week, I will be in conversation with an interesting person who has something to say. We're going to talk about feminism, race, writing in books and art, food, pop culture, and yes, politics. I start each show with a recommendation. Really, I'm just going to share with you a movie or a book or maybe some music or a comedy set, something that I really want you to be aware of and maybe engage with as well. Listen to the Luminary Original Podcast, The Roxanne Gay Agenda, the bad feminist podcast of your dreams, every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everybody. I'm Rachel Bonetta, and I have my very own podcast called Benched with Bonetta. You kidding me? Woo! I'm just here so I won't get fined. You may know me from Game Day View or Game Day Morning on NFL Network. Basically, any shows with the word game in it, odds are you'll find me there. Every week, I'm going to be talking about all the things I find fascinating about the NFL, like breaking down games, questioning Tom Brady's genetic makeup. It's going to be great. I'm also doing something that has never been done before. I'm opening my DMs. DMs now open. <laughs> 
We want to hear from you, fans of the NFL. And when I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. Did you commit a misdemeanor crime when you were 12 and need to tell somebody about it? Please, for the love of Roger Goodell, do not tell me. I can be held accountable. Listen every Tuesday and join me on the bench. Subscribe now and listen to the Benched with Bonetta podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Zach, I want to take a minute to talk about how we're all coping on this fine Monday, because on the surface, things may seem calmer. You know, we've gotten over the hump. There's a new, much more sane administration instilled in the White House. It seems like, at least for now, the political pace has slowed. But now it's like, um, what now? (laughs) Because it seems like we may have entered a new phase of pandemic dread that I'm personally not ready for. Oh my God, 100%. And I don't think any of us expected to wake up on January 21st and see the world magically transformed, but we're still struggling, just maybe more quietly. And as we close out this final quarter of our pandemic year, thousands of people are still dying every day. And now it seems like there's not much we can do other than wait. So joining us today to talk about this is Deputy Director of Breaking News at BuzzFeed News, David Mack. He wrote the very relatable essay, I Know Why the Pandemic is So Hard Right Now. Hey, David, thanks for being with us today. Hi, guys. Good to be back. Oh, we're so glad to have you. So it seems like we've all been experiencing this pandemic in phases. And in your essay, you describe what seems to be a shift you've experienced over the last week or two. How would you describe that? Gosh, it's like really funny because I feel like for months I was doing really well. Like in summer, especially being able to go to parks and see my friends and sort of be outside was one big thing. And then, of course, like looming in the distance was winter. And I kind of knew this was coming and I was trying to mentally prepare myself for it. Uh, but still, like, there were things going on, right? Like, there was the election and all the chaos that happened with that and the kind of the ongoing story of that. And then there was the holidays. And then all of a sudden, it was just like nothing was happening. And I just found myself the last couple of weekends feeling kind of empty again. And, you know, just feeling like this stretch of time that, was like a weekend where in my normal life, you'd be excited. It's the weekend. What am I going to do? What am I, what am I up to today? It was like, no, nothing. You got nothing. Mm. You are <laughs> waiting for Monday morning to come around again. And then you will have work and that's what you'll be doing again. And it just kind of, I was sort of sitting with that feeling again and thinking, God, I feel like I'm back where I was in March to May last year. Yeah. You know, and there's a certain amount of disappointment that comes into play here. You know, I think, you know, we didn't think everything was going to change on January 1st, but a part of us probably did. And then again, we knew nothing was really going to change January 21st, but I think a part of us did, you know, you know, you wanted to feel safer or happier. Uh, Did, do you think that we all really did expect to feel that way? That's right. I think that's exactly right. There was all this like emphasis with new things going on, right? Like you got the new year, you got new vaccines, you got a new administration, and that one had sort of specifically sold itself as like, all right, the grown-ups are coming in. We're about to kind of like take charge. And of course we all know that it's not gonna happen overnight. Everybody knows that. But the reality of facing that is kind of a different thing, right? And thinking, okay, well then how long is it gonna take? And, and when, at what point do we look at the Biden administration and think, are things working or are we giving them too much time, right? And so we're kind of just in this holding pattern now where we're just kind of waiting for the 
people to kind of get stuff together and for the weather to get warmer and the days to get longer and our lives to kind of look a little bit more normal and more people to get vaccinated. I don't know about you, but there's like those tickers that you can watch on. Like, I think we have a vaccine tracker at BuzzFeed News and other websites have them as well, where you can kind of just watch the number tick up every day of more people getting it. And it feels good to see, but also it's kind of enraging to see that it's not moving fast. <laughs> it's so slow. And I'm a February baby. And, you know, Casey is a January baby. And I feel like a lot of us that have birthdays right now, right before the pandemic hit, have very vivid memories of like the right before moments and when we were hearing about the virus coming and that should we plan our birthdays or whatnot. And, and Valentine's Day, like it hit me last night that Valentine's Day is in two weeks. And it, I do hear what you're saying is that it's kind of shaking me to my core that like the heaviness of a year is really coming into focus right now. It's very sharp. And and I also think it's such an interesting thing because it's like, you're talking about that a trauma. Like this is traumatic. This is extremely traumatic. And we like brush it off by like coping with certain ways or making jokes and stuff. But like when you talk about March, I remember March 15th, my sister's birthday last year was the last day that I spent with my family without mass. And I remember as we left that night, I think it was a Sunday, we said, we'll see you in two weeks. Like, I remember that moment. And so I really do think March is going to be extremely tough for people because at the same time that we're just trying to get through this, it's like we also have to, like, live that trauma and realize that it's traumatic. And, oh, man, it is... I was thinking about how sort of, and, and this is a lot of what my essay was about, was about sort of time, right? And the way, way, ways in which the pandemic has like affected the way we experience time. And so for a lot of 2020, it was this crazy chaotic year, right? But we were still doing a lot of things for the first time. And, you know, the first time wearing a mask, as you said, the first time maybe dining outdoors again, the first time, you know, when you had to go back inside, when there was another lockdown, right? You know, the election, the debates, things like that. And now the things that are looping back are those anniversaries again. And you guys are talking about, you know, all your, your sort of your birthdays in January and February. Well, some of us born in March and April are about to experience our second <laughs> quarantine birthday, which is a very depressing idea, you know. And then on the one hand, there's this idea with time in the pandemic that you want it to like, you know, slow down. You want to like stop getting older. You want to make sure that, oh God, like I'm losing my twenties or whatever. Like I need to, like, I want things to stop and I want time to stop. But on the other hand, what I'm feeling a lot right now is like, I really want time to speed up. Right. I want, Mm -hmm. I want it to be April already. I can't wait for this like vaccine to get you know, distribution to get organized. I want it to already be organized. And I would like gladly go to sleep for two months if it meant that I could wake up and things would be like the the infection rate would be lower and more people would be vaccinated. And of course, that's just not possible. So I'm just kind of like muddling along and (laughs) I guess being depressed on Twitter. So sorry. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So I want to go back to coping, you know, because some of the added strangeness is just, you know, the pace of life that drags on a global pandemic, a national reckoning on racism, a fraught election and an attempted coup. And we all just kept working. What does it say about our society that the way we've dealt with a collective trauma like COVID is that we've just plowed right through it with work? I'm sorry for laughing just like hearing it all, hearing it all like laid out like that. You just like throw away the coup and the coup, like oh, yeah, the, the coup. coup. Uh, I like. I guess that's why I've been. Again, I think work has been a privilege, right? I am so lucky to be employed when there are millions of others in this country who are not right now, and 
not just for the kind of steadiness of a paycheck and the sort of, you know, um, sense of pride that that continues to bring unemployment. It affects your pride as well as your bank account, right? Um, but it has also meant having being employed that I'm lucky to still have routine. And I think work is the one thing, you know, it's still something that is a kind of taste of our old lives, right? You're doing something that is what you can, you can tell yourself is important. It gives you a reason to get up in the day and to get to work. And I miss my colleagues and I miss the office. Uh, but I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm very grateful that I still have a kind of job to do every day. One thing that I saw on the internet is this idea of pandemic fine, you know, the definition of which is a state of being in which you are employed and healthy during a pandemic, but you're also tired and depressed and feel like trash all the time. Would you describe yourself as pandemic fine? And do you think your piece hits at that notion? It, I, that's exactly right. I think, I think you're kind of, you know, th- there's a guilt, right. That comes with feeling sad when you really try to think, well, what have I got to feel sad for, right? Like, what, why, what, what right do I have to feel sad? As I said, I haven't lost anyone. I, I am still employed. Most of my friends are still employed. Uh, what right do I have to feel sad? But of course, like, we're all going through this and we've all lost things. And some of them are, you know, silly things and, you know, birthday parties and, you know, the things that you can push back, weddings and things, but we've also lost each other. And it's okay. I think the big realization that I've had the last few months is like, it's okay to feel sad for whatever situation you find yourself in. And we've all got to stop kind of comparing each other's lot to one another. We've just got to deal, you deal with the hand you've been dealt and everybody's going through it. Some people may not look like they're suffering, but that's, you know, I can assure you everybody's feeling this in different ways. Yes, everyone is going through it. And that brings me to my final question (laughs) for you, because I just don't understand something you tweeted within uh, this kind of thread. And it says uh, that you said, quote, maybe it's just dry January. So David, why did you do dry January? You are one of many people I know that spent the month sober. And I feel like that was January was the one month you should not have been sober. So (laughs) how was it for you? Why did you do it? What did you learn? And teach me your ways. (laughs) It was... One of the harder things I've done in the pandemic, uh, I did it basically because I'd been drinking too much. That sounds stupid, but like <laughs> I had gone from, you know, drinking three or four nights a week to like before the pandemic to like drinking every night and to drinking in a way that was like, you know, you read stories about people kind of taking a breath of air and being like, wait, maybe I am drinking too much. And it was never a point <laughs> where I was like, oh, you've got a problem. It was just like, you, this is getting kind of out of hand. Yeah. And it's a thing, it was a thing, right. To pass time. Like yep. when you're working all the time at home and online, having a drink at the end of the day is a marker of time. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm not at work anymore. Right. And pretty soon that can kind of go too far. So look, I, I decided to torture myself and to do a month <laughs> off. And not only <laughs> I do, I'm going to like, cause I'm going to float my own boat here, whatever it is. I, I not only, <laughs> Was I doing dry January? I've also been on keto for a month and oh my like God. a full health reset and trying to like exercise and all that shit. And uh, yeah, so I did it as a way to kind of clear my head and to try and reassess my relationship with alcohol in the pandemic, uh, which was really hard after the coup, right? Which is sort of <laughs> a lot of my colleagues had a big drink that night and I didn't, uh, which was really hard, but it 
it's been a, I guess the only tip I could have was like drink lots of salsa. Um, (laughs) I like, yeah, I drank a lot of salsa. And now that I had my first drink the other night on Friday night, because I decided to much controversy on Twitter that uh, dry January was four weeks long and not a calendar month. <laughs> see, that's but, what okay. we wanted to say yes. because we were like, we were like, David, we're really proud of you. You know, you set this goal for yourself. But then we want to ask you, you know, did you know that January 31st is still a part of January? Yeah, I didn't want to blow up your spot, four but I checked the weeks. calendar. When you posted that, I checked the calendar. I said, girl, it is not Four February weeks yet. is a month. Four <laughs> weeks is a month. I'm sorry. Taking four weeks off is a month. So I I took four weeks off. I was not about to lose another sad weekend of just sitting here with, with my seltzers, okay? So I had a glass of wine on Friday night, and it was really good. And I tell you what, I woke up with one of the worst hangovers of my life on Saturday morning. Absolutely horrific nightmare hangover. And you would think, like, God, did he drink, drink a bottle of gin? No, I had two glasses of wine yep. and, like, a gin and tonic and was, like, on the floor with my head <laughs> in my hands, just suffering on Saturday morning. Oh my my body was like, what is this poison you're giving me again? So, God. Well, David, I must say, you look great. Keto, sobriety. Thank you. Look glowing. wonderful. Yes. She's glowing, y'all. She is thriving. A pandemic thriving, I will say. Um, well, David, <laughs> David, thank you so much for your essay. It really, I know it touched a lot of us, especially me. So thank you again. And thank you for joining us to talk about it today. Pleasure as always. All right, that's it for today. Remember to come back and join us tomorrow. And remember, being pandemic fine in this instance is okay. We'll get back to normal fine eventually. Be sure to subscribe to BuzzFeed Daily on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to come back for more of what you love about BuzzFeed coming to you daily. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. I'm Paris Hilton, and this is Trapped in Treatment, a weekly podcast of shocking survivor experiences and stories from an industry plagued by controversy. With my hosts, Caroline Cole and Rebecca Mellinger, we will uncover the truth of one teen treatment facility each season. First up, Provo Canyon School. This one is personal. Listen to Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mama, what does the chicken say? Uh, dog, cat, giraffe. Giraffe, really? Giraffe, uh, giraffe. You're not going to get it all right. Just make sure you nail the big stuff, like making sure your kids are buckled correctly in the right seat for their age and size. Get it right. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.